Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, we're talking about Bitcoin software wallet insecurity. And are you putting yourself at a lot more risk than you actually realize? I think this episode might uh, be very concerning for some people, but uh, we talk about some of the issues around software wallets and the security or insecurity of them and how keys can be exfiltrated. And so if you check out the blog post, which will be linked in the show notes uh, over on the Ledger Donjon blog, you'll see some very quick examples of keys being extracted out of phones and desktop wallets and well-known ones as well. So it's worthwhile thinking about. And Charles Guillemet, he is working at Ledger. He's a well-regarded security expert in the industry. And so he joins me on the show to talk about these issues as well as offer some tips and guidance for listeners out there who are looking to secure their Bitcoin. Now, the lead sponsor of SLP is Swan Bitcoin. Swan is the best way to accumulate Bitcoin with either lump sum purchases or setting up your automatic recurring buy, or as we like to call it, Bitcoin savings plans. It's fast to set up and it's cheap to automate your stacking, especially for US customers, though Swan is available internationally and you can wire in funds that way also. Swan definitely takes a focus on education and content as well. So you'll notice that the more you know, the more you wanted to buy and also, importantly, Swan is Bitcoin only. There's no confusion about altcoins. So come and sign up with Swan Bitcoin. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash Levera and you'll get $10 of Bitcoin dropped into your account when you start your stacking plan. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform so you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. So with Lend at HodlHodl, if you need some fiat liquidity, you don't necessarily have to sell your Bitcoin. You can borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin as collateral and it'll be held in escrow throughout the whole deal. While stablecoin owners can earn some extra interest by lending their stablecoins out and defining the terms and the APR for their deals. HodlHodl's lending platform is currently going through a major upgrade with improvements available soon. So go and sign up at lend.hodlhodl.com. It's been a very interesting year from a Bitcoin mining perspective. And if you are interested to get involved with Bitcoin mining yourself, compassmining.io are here to help you. If you don't know where to source your equipment, well, you can go and purchase it at compassmining.io. And you can also have that machine sent to a facility that has been vetted by the team and has good power rates. And so... Many of us who can't mine at home because of the power rates that are not cost effective, well, now you can with Compass Mining. And you can then select your mining pool and you'll start receiving sats. Compass's team will help you buy, ship, and install the important mining hardware that you will need to successfully mine Bitcoin. So if you want to get started, go to compassmining.io. And now onto the show with Charles. Charles, welcome back to the show. Hi, Stefan. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure to participate in the show. Yeah, I, I know you've got a lot of cool things you're working on and doing and often obviously thinking hard about security. And so I wanted to chat with you about some of these concepts because I know you, you wrote a really cool post recently on Bitcoin software wallets and the security aspects of that, obviously compared with hardware wallets. Now, of course, people say, oh, look, see, you work for Ledger, you're selling hardware wallets, of course. But I, I still think it's it's worth a discussion just to kind of understand the different concepts, understand what's going on there. So from your perspective, when we're talking about Bitcoin security, what, what are the main challenges? Is it, is it around protecting that secret or what's some of the main challenges? <laughs> yeah, the challenges are huge. Um, let me let me zoom a, a little bit. Um, blockchain technology is 
is about to change the world. Uh, and this revolution can be compared to uh, internet revolution. It's a completely new uh, paradigm uh, in terms of adoption, Bitcoin uh, and more generally cryptocurrency adoption uh, we have today can be compared to internet in like 1998. We are very early. So this is the first thing we, uh, I wanted to say. Uh, second, blockchain revolution is about changing the way humans uh, stores and exchange values. It's about decentralization. It's about self-sovereignty. It's about empowering people. This is huge. Uh, with Bitcoin, you really own your money and it's something quite new. As long as you have your keys, you don't have to ask the permission from anyone to spend your Bitcoin. And it's, it's clearly a shift in the paradigm of, uh, of money. Um, when you use your bank account, when you want to make transfer, what you actually do is to ask the permission to your bank to use your money. Uh, Bitcoin is very different for, for, for that. Um, and your listeners probably know that already, but a quick recall about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not an easy concept. Uh, at the end of the day, the coins you own are in the blockchain. Uh, they never leave the blockchain. So holding Bitcoin actually means being able to spend them. And to do so, as a holder, what you need is to hold your private key. And second, the blockchain is immutable. That means that you cannot revert transaction. So when I said this, uh, it's it seems simple, but there are very uh, huge uh, security implications. That means that if you lose your keys, you lose your coins. And there is nothing you can do to revert that. If an attacker gets an access to your keys, he can make a transaction and you lose, you lose everything. Uh, your key is a small piece of data. It's like 256 bits, but these bits uh, can secure 100 USD worth of Bitcoin or billions in terms of information. It's the same thing. So, I mean, I'm working in the security industry for years. And I was in the, in the security before working. Uh, the, the, this challenge is the biggest I know of. Uh, there was nothing, uh, nothing uh, as big as this one in terms of security. Yeah, yeah. And so for listeners who are new, uh, obviously a lot of people listen to the show to learn. And so some are regular listeners and some are new. And so just for those new listeners, remember when Charles is saying there, coins don't leave the chain. Remember, it's a ledger. And you can think of it like your Bitcoin wallet holds a secret and it can sign a message that allows the coins to move from one place on the ledger to another, if you will. And so the coins never leave the ledger. And so the point then is that you want to, sec you really want to secure that secret because if only anybody gets that secret, they will obviously transfer them to themselves and you will not own that. And as we were talking, Bitcoin is immutable. The transactions are not reversible. That's it. Once it's out, it's gone. That it's done. There's no takebacks. There's no bailouts. That's part of the Bitcoin system. And that's essentially part of what we accept. So I guess at the end of the day, we're trusting that our Bitcoin wallet and or the device that we're using to operate that, whether it's a software device or a hardware wallet device, that it can keep that secret secure. Because essentially, it's like your seed were, is really like this big, big number. And then it, your wallet will kind of generate out the addresses and the keys based on that. So it's all about keeping that secret secure, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Maybe we can uh, just talk very briefly about the basis of asymmetric cryptography. So asymmetric cryptography is a big branch of uh, cryptography. It involves a private key and a public key. The main 
application of uh, asymmetric cryptography is a digital signature. Uh, with digital signature, what you what you do what, when you sign something, you prove you actually know your private key without revealing any information on your private key. And anyone can verify that you know your private key without revealing it just by knowing your public key. And this is the, this is the very um, important principle of asymmetric cryptography. And this is what we uh, use for Bitcoin. When I send you uh, some Bitcoin, when I, what I do in a simple, uh, in a simple way is to sign a message which proves I know my private key and anyone can verify that I know it because my public key is public. And in terms of Bitcoin, it's uh, anyone is the node verifying the protocol running Bitcoin Core. And my public key is what we call addresses in uh, in the language of, um, of of Bitcoin. So this is this is basically how it works. Uh, I can send you Bitcoin to your public key to your address, and just because I know my private key, and I can prove to anyone that I know my private key. And this mechanism is is called a digital signature. And maybe if I can uh, do a, a very small parenthesis, um, we are. We will go through a Bitcoin upgrade in a few months, yeah, weeks now. Uh, this uh, this Bitcoin upgrade is called Taproot, and Taproot comes with uh, new features. And one of them is we will change the way we sign transaction. Before we were using an algorithm which is called uh, ECDSA on a curve which is called SecP uh, 256K1. We keep the same curve, but we will we will use also a new uh, signature um, algorithm, and this uh, signature algorithm is called Schnorr signature. Uh, it it has a lot of interesting um, um, benefits, like it's possible to do to implement threshold signature in a very simple manner. Also, the signature are uh, smaller, and um, yeah, these are the main uh, benefits that you, you you get with uh, Schnorr signature. So. Just to, to get back to, uh, to, to the thing, owning Bitcoin means you are able to uh, spend them and spending them means that you can produce digital signature. And to produce digital signature, you have to own your private key and never reveal it. Because if you reveal it, that means that anyone else who knows your private key can do the same. You can spend your Bitcoin. So that's why it's paramount to secure your private key. Yeah. And I guess I should, I mean, what we're saying here, we're focusing very much on protecting that seed. But I mean, I can think of other ideas related to Bitcoin security. Examples would be making sure that you truly control that receiving address, right? That somebody hasn't replaced the address with their address and you think you're sending Bitcoin to yourself, but actually it's somebody else or you're withdrawing. Or there might be other aspects around. Or another example would be making sure that when you create that private key, that seed, that you had a sufficient entropy and that that process wasn't being tampered with in some way or there wasn't some kind of malware or spyware going on. But I think just broadly speaking, the main, I guess, security considerations are protecting that secret and making sure that it doesn't get easily exfiltrated or stolen. And so in your article as well, you talked about a very interesting like spyware and malware, the Pegasus software by NSO Group. Could you tell us a little bit about this? Because I think most people think, oh, my phone is secure. It's, you know, Google and Apple, they make it secure. So I don't have to worry about these things. Yeah, you have to worry about that. Um, the, the very short summary is it's a very bad idea to use software 
to use mobile phone or to use your desktop to secure your Bitcoin. Uh, frankly, it's a, it's a very bad idea. But let's go into um, into NSO. NSO is a um, company, a security company, and uh, let let me let me uh, give you a small story about security vulnerability business because this is what they do uh, in a way. Uh, when I was young, um, security research was mostly a game. Security researchers were looking for vulnerabilities, and those vulnerabilities were simply shared on uh, free uh, uh, for free on forums, uh, also on security conference. Uh, this was on what we called at this time the dark web, but at this time the dark web was mostly a website with dark background. <laughs> this is what we what we called the dark web at this time, and. Yeah, when, when you found vulnerabilities at this time, you just publish them uh, on then, on these forums or going to, to, um, a conference uh, explaining them. And this is what we call today a uh, full disclosure because you, you don't, uh, you don't care. You just publish your vulnerability and, and company with companies were quite unhappy with that because that means that they were aware at the same time as ev ev everyone that there were some vulnerability uh, on their product. So they started to incentivize a security researcher uh, to stop uh, doing that and uh, instead uh, to be contacted uh, beforehand. Uh, this, this is what we called um, responsible disclosure. So this is a kind of uh, gentleman's agreement where companies um, reward security researchers when they find vulnerabilities on their product. Uh, it protects users and it, it gives some time uh, to the company, uh, to this company, to patch the vulnerabilities be before bad guys uh, actually uh, exploit the this vulnerability. And at first, the, the, the rewards were very small. You, you can, you could get 100 USD or so. Uh, this was the beginning of, uh, of, of this market. But the stakes started to be high and uh, different actors started to get very interested in uh, such vulnerabilities. I'll be very explicit. Uh, these actors are mostly criminal organization and also national state services. Uh, let's be let's be quite direct. This is this is the main people interested in in the vulnerabilities. Criminal organization search and exploit these vulnerabilities for profit. They, directly, they can do ransomware. They can access to your bank account to get your password to then database and resell the database on, on dark web. If you don't intend to uh, respect the law, there are many ways to uh, get rich uh, with uh, security uh, vulnerabilities. Nation state services, it's a bit different, of course. They are also interested in this vulnerability, but they mostly use them to spy whoever they want uh, quite easily and, and very closely. So if we go back to NSO, NSO is a company specialized in buying and finding such vulnerabilities, and they use them to build automated tools such as uh, Pegasus. From a user perspective, Pegasus is a very simple software. It's a software, you launch it, you put the phone number of your victim, you click on hack. I don't know if it's uh, what is written on the button, but this is, this is something like that. And then you simply have a full access to uh, the phone of your victim. I mean, there is nothing else to do. There is just in the software, there are many um, exploit, uh, vulnerability exploitation, which can break any kind of uh, uh, iOS or uh, Android phone remotely without any uh, user action. And then you have a full access to the mobile phone. Full access, that means you can dump 
all the data inside the phone. You can use the credentials of your victim to access to uh, his favorite services, to his email, to uh, his uh, Coinbase account, all the credentials. You can also spy his screen and uh, keyboards and uh, every single input. You can switch on his camera re remotely, his microphone remotely whenever you want. Uh, this is a, a feature which uh, which is used um, a lot by, by nation state when they use uh, Pegasus. There has been a couple of scandal where a NSA have been caught uh, using this to uh, listen the microphone of the French president, for instance. There has been a scandal around that. So basically, you can do anything uh, on the smartphone that you break. And from a user perspective, it's just click on the button. So if you have a software wallet on your phone, that means that an attacker with Pegasus uh, can steal funds, like just clicking and, uh, and dumping your data. Uh, if you log into your Coinbase account on any exchange, the attacker can simply use your credentials to empty your account. So this is what Pegasus is about. Pegasus is about buying and finding the large number of vulnerabilities and to package them into a software which is very simple from a user perspective, which allows the user uh, to hack any kind of, um, of mobile phone remotely without any uh, user action. So this is what Pegasus is about. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned as well, this is remotely. This doesn't even require, because I've heard of those things where, say, police or law enforcement have like a machine and they like plug in the the phone and it's like a you need you need physical access so in this case how's the remote hacking working like does it translate does it happen over the phone network or is it like using a data connection or how does it actually achieve that most of the time it's leveraged some uh, messaging vulnerabilities like your your um, messaging uh, application is always listening on the network and instead of uh, sending you a well-formed message the application will send you hill-formed message, which will exploit a vulnerability in the iMessage software, for instance, that can be a buffer overflow or something. Uh, when, when the message is received by your phone, uh, the messaging app will parse this message and then it enters into um, the iMessage um, uh, software. And if there is a vulnerability, then uh, you, can, um, you can implement a specific message which will be at the end a virus, some kind of malware, and, and you can gain a remote code execution. So this is the first thing. And when you have a remote code execution in iMessage um, environment, uh, it's not finished yet. You have to uh, find another exploit, allowing you to have some privilege escalation uh, in order to become root uh, on the device. So all the time, there is the, in order to have zero click, zero action, this is something like uh, using a messaging app. So this is the, this is the main threat vector. And then you have to uh, change several different vulnerabilities in order to go out of this A message environment and to es escape the different countermeasures because now there are plenty of countermeasures uh, to, to get out of the sandbox and so on and uh, finish root on the, on the devices. This is not, this is not simple. And uh, this kind of vulnerability today is quite expensive because there is market for uh, vulnerabilities. And such a vulnerability, new one, like Zero Day, not known by uh, Apple or, or, or by Android. Uh, I didn't verify, but it's uh, today, but it's, uh, it's uh, between uh, 1 million and 2 million. But 
you have one vulnerability and you can break all the phones in, in the world at once. So uh, it's, um, yeah, it's a question of market at the end. There is a cost opportunity here. Yeah, that's very interesting and very scary for many people because I'm sure a lot of listeners are not familiar with this idea. So let me just walk through that some of that just to make sure everyone's following along. So the point here is that there are companies out there who it is for them, it is very profitable to you find and purchase these exploits and construct software that allows somebody to basically hack someone else's phone. And as you were saying, the way these might typically operate is that they might have a bit of a foot in the door with the messaging service. And then once they're in, as you mentioned, there's this idea of chaining together multiple exploits. So at the start, you're getting in via the messaging application somehow. You're getting remote code execution on that person's phone. And now because phones are generally sandboxed or each application is sort of protected in a certain way, you mentioned this idea of privilege escalation. So it's this idea that Instead of only just getting in and being stuck in the sandbox, you need a way to kind of get in that sandbox and then escalate out of there and get what we call root access, meaning you can you have God mode. You can see everything on the phone. And then at that point, if you're able to read someone's Bitcoin private key, boom, your coins are going to get stolen. And so I wonder then, why haven't we seen more of these attacks in the wild? Because I'm sure there are lots of people who are using Bitcoin phone wallets today it, with hot, with keys hot on the device. Do you think it's just that the, let's call it the eye of Sauron has not been pointed on this yet, or is it just not profitable or feasible for them to do that kind of attack yet? First of all, it already exists. There are plenty of examples where uh, where people uh, get stolen on their software wallet. Most of the time, it's, it's mostly used uh, in a targeted mode. I know that you have on your phone like 1 million, so <laughs> it can be interested, uh, interesting to uh, to break your phone. It's not always zero click. Maybe I can just send you a, a link and then there is a vulnerability in your Chrome and then I can do a sandbox escape and so on. So this is the first thing. So it already exists. It's not large scale yet. The second thing is there is an opportunity cost. Uh, the thing is there's vulnerabilities, there's software are not free. And you have to make sure that um, that the investment you do in either uh, finding vulnerabilities or uh, buying them uh, will be uh, the cost will be lower than uh, what you what you gain at the end because as soon as you you start to uh, use this kind of exploit they get detected and then there there are some teams um, in uh, in Apple or Android who uh, inspect what's going on and then they find the vulnerabilities and they they patch their software this is called what what we say this is burning a vulnerability it's, you you actually burn it so there is this opportunity cost it, and today um criminal organization can get really more money uh, with easier mean like you do phishing attacks it's it costs nothing it does not need any kind of knowledge and if and for now it works very well so as long as it's easier to do phishing attack rather than doing that it's uh, attackers will prefer to uh, to use uh, phishing attacks but my fear is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency will grow like crazy. This is not uh, this is not a, a question. This is the, this is what is what's going on. Uh, so uh, the, the the history will tell. But this is what 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 is ongoing. So the adoption will grow like crazy. And at some point, I fear that if the adoption goes through uh, too much to through software wallet. The opportunity cost will be very, very profitable and spending like 1 million, 2 million, 10 millions 
will be nothing compared to uh, what you can earn using this um, the threat. And from my perspective, it's it's a systemic risk. I mean, if an attacker can like put 50 million on the table and is able to wipe every single software wallet in the world in a few minutes, it will get like 100, maybe 1,000, maybe more uh, Bitcoin. And that means that it's a systematic risk, a systemic risk, because if an attacker can, can get a large proportion of uh, Bitcoin supply, it's not good for Bitcoin at all. So that's why I, I'm a bit frightened, frightened by, by that. On the other hand, I think that hardware wallet and uh, secure, secure solution will, uh, will prevail, uh, at the end because, yeah, it's, it's not a good idea to, to use software wallet. Uh, so, uh, we have to, uh, continue the education and to explain, uh, what is, what's going on, what are the stakes and to explain this kind of threat because, uh, because this, this is not only a threat. It will happen. As soon as the opportunity cost is positive, this kind of uh, attacks uh, will happen in the field. Right. Yes. And I mean, it's probably, for all we know, it could even be profitable today, but just hasn't been done yet. We don't know. But I mean, I'm sure there would probably be a lot of users out there using some of the well-known wallets, right? Let's say even if it was just blockchain.com or blockchain.info's wallet or wallets where it's known that the keys are hot, whether it's a lightning wallet or it's a coin join wallet that requires keys to be hot. There would obviously be a lot of money sitting on all of those devices. And so if the attacker is able to get the number of or find out who has those devices and obviously pay the money to get that information, this would be a very, very profitable attack. And so obviously it's something to be concerned about. And as you were saying, though, for now, that's not the lowest hanging fruit. And they will go after that, right? They might go try and buy a list and, you know, uh, email phishing and because there's enough, I guess, unfortunately, gullible people who will respond to the phishing kind of attacks. And in some cases, they are quite good. So it's not even that you're gullible, that they could have just been really good. So I guess the other question I wanted to ask as well, while we're on this idea of smartphone wallets and smartphone security, then I guess, uh, as you were saying, the idea is they don't want to burn the vulnerability and only use it to, as an example, they don't want to spend $2 million to buy a vulnerability and only make $50,000 out of the hack of, out of that because now they've burned that vulnerability. And then that means in the next version of Apple iOS and in the next version of Android smartphone, they will patch that. And so how much of it is a defense that, you know, there's patching going on or also is there use of certain more hardened operating systems you might have heard of on Android, for example, there's Graphene OS and some people use Calyx OS and things like that. How much does patching and the use of these alternatives help? First of all, there is, uh, there is the zero-day uh, market, zero-day vulnerability market, and this is what we were talking about. But frankly, most of the smartphones are not up to, up to date. This is the first thing. So they are vulnerable right now. Uh, this is yeah. not tomorrow. This is right now. So... I'm going to be very fast on this one. Uh, and uh, to everyone who listens to us, no one should use software wallets. Uh, I think this is this is as simple as that. If you do that, this is exactly as if you put a banknote in the street. This is what, what it is about. F- uh, software wallets are fundamentally insecure. Every day there are vulnerabilities on your browser, on your operating system, on the software running on your computer. Uh, it's clearly too simple to hack a computer. I mean... This is a, this is not something complex. This is a, this is a something for students. So don't put v- uh, valuable information on it and especially not uh, cryptocurrency. And uh, also to those who um, use offline computer. Uh, first of all, 
it's clearly something not convenient at all. Uh, if you uh, if you have uh, some time, I encourage you also to read the story of uh, Stuxnet. Uh, you probably know Stuxnet. Yep. In very short, uh, Stuxnet um, is a worm uh, designed by the NSA. They are everywhere uh, to win to ruin uh, the nuclear program of Iran. Uh, they simply infected the air-gapped computer uh, located in bunkers, uh, which were. Um, controlling the nuclear plant and, and more uh, specifically the nuclear centrifuge uh, in order to, uh, to make uh, uranium um, uh, concentrated. I don't know if it's English, but yeah, this is the idea. Um, and it allowed, to, it allowed them to physically break all the centrifuges. So this, so this story is, is uh, fascinating. You, you should have a look. But what I want to, to highlight is that even a gap computer can be broken Remotely, without uh, physical access, and so on. Um, this is uh, this is something we, you, you have to have in mind. And use, using software wallets is definitely not a good idea for a security reason. I understand what you say about Lightning, and Lightning cannot cannot be used uh, offline. You cannot uh, have a hardware wallet for for Lightning. Um, but I think it's a different use case. You, you can see it exactly as your banknote. Okay, it's not that secure. You can lose it. But you have to, to have this in mind. And, and the, also, there is also a, a difference because, uh, because you, with software, you can do uh, attacks at, at scale. I mean, uh, if, if, I, um, if I want to, uh, to steal your uh, physical wallet, I have to, uh, to go near to you and to, uh, to steal it to you. But if I want to steal all the physical wallet at scale, it's complex. But when it comes to software, um, it's not that complex. So. Yeah, uh, frankly, I'm a bit. Um, I don't know what to say because I would like to. I would love that uh, lightning um, grows and so on, but I fear that at some point it, it, the whole system would be uh, vulnerable to uh, to such attacks. And and I'm sorry to say that, but the, today there is no there is no real relevant countermeasures to uh, to counteract this kind of attacks. Back to the show after a message for the sponsors. If you are sitting on a, with your coins on a custodian or on a single signature wallet, there's some urgency. You've got to upgrade your Bitcoin security. Think about Unchained Capital. They've got multi-signature and they're making it easy for you. They've got a two of three vault setup and you hold two, they would hold one and they can also sign for you in the case that you're unable to reach one of your keys. And so we need to eliminate single points of failure and that's essentially what multi-signature helps us do. And so you can order your own hardware devices and go to unchain.com and set it up yourself or you can go and use the Vault Concierge service where they will ship you some hardware devices. They'll do a call with you, get you set up, even if you've never held your own Bitcoin private keys before and you will then be set up with a multi-signature vault and you'll have some Bitcoin dropped into your vault also. So if you go to unchained.com, select the Vault Concierge service and use the code Levera for a discount. And while we're talking about Bitcoin security, my favorite Bitcoin hardware device is the cold card. The cold card is one of the most recommended devices by Bitcoiners out there. And it really teaches you as part of the process of learning to use a cold card, you'll actually learn a bit more about Bitcoin. And so it's a really excellent tool, both for learning and for security. You can use it in a single signature context or as part of a multi-signature setup, even with say Unchained. And they've got all sorts of features there, such as PSBT natively, the ability to use seed XOR, which is a plausibly deniable means of storing secrets in two or more parts, and each behaves and looks just like the original secret. 
Now, I notice some people can be a bit afraid about using cold cards, but it's really not that difficult. Just get a wallet like Sparrow or Spectre and use use it and just give it a try. There's all sorts of videos and guides also. So go to coincard.com and use the code Levera to order your cold card. And don't forget about backing up your coins. CypherSafe.io are creating metal seed backup products. So when you initialize your wallet, you'll get those 12 or 24 seed words and you need to use a metal seed backup product so that you don't lose that access to those coins if something happens to your hardware wallet or that piece of paper, right? So don't trust that piece of paper, use a metal product. The Cypher Grid is a new product coming out. You get everything you need for $59. It's got privacy by default. You can lock it with a padlock. You get an automatic center punch provided so you can stamp in those words and it's fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. So go to cyphersafe.io and use the code Levera to get a discount on yours. Back to the show. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And yeah, that's uh, sad to see. But I, I suppose we should also talk a little bit about some of the different elements of security because uh, in the in the post you talk through a few different ideas. So, for example, you've got like evil made attacks, this concept of protection at rest and protection during secret use. So it would be great if we could talk through some of those. So maybe if we could just start with this idea of an evil made attack. So what is that? Yeah, maybe I can um, I can list uh, the different types of uh, requirements. So I think everything starts with the key generation, generating good quality secrets is not that easy, uh, but it's paramount. Uh, if your secret is not well generated, an attacker could leverage the bias uh, to guess your secret. In our case, we are using Secure Element to do so. They embed a dedicated piece of hardware to generate high quality random. Um, and the, this kind of uh, random number generator comply with the highest standards and certification. Yes, there are standards for randomness. This is something which exists. <laughs> so, I think this is this is the this is the first thing which is uh, which is important in the chain of security. The second is uh, protection at rest. Um, this is also very important. The question is is the following. You just hodl your bitcoin. You just don't spend on or nothing. And an attacker breaks into your house and hack or hack your computer, smartphone uh, remotely. Are you, are your keys uh, still safe? So this is, this is what it is about. And uh, what we know is that all wallets are not equal. Um, for instance, what I, what I said before with software wallets, if an attacker uh, gets an access to your, to your, to your smartphone, your keys are, are secure. Only if you are using like a very long password, but long, long like crazy. And, uh, and this is only for protection at rest. Uh, when, when you start to uh, input your, um, your passwords, uh, things, uh, things are changing. And even for uh, hardware wallets, all the, 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 the wallets are not equals. Um, they, they, they are the famous, um, uh, Tweezor and KeepKey, this kind of hardware wallets. Uh, it's possible to extract the content of, of your of this kind of hardware wallet quite easily, um, but in this case you need uh, you need um, a physical access to the device and so on. So at the end, uh, hardware wallets are always better than software. Uh, this is I, I'm not saying the contrary, uh, and Trezor also. Um, and in our case, we are using a secure element to uh, to avoid this kind of attack, and this kind of secret are 
designed especially for uh, security and especially to resist to an attacker with a physical access uh, to, to, to the device and with a high potential. And when it comes to um, to smartphone or desktop computer, if you have physical access, it's just finished, uh, except if everything is encrypted with uh, a high quality uh, uh, password, if you have a physical access, it's, it's simply finished. Then there is uh, protection that use. So holding is one thing, but you uh, also need to receive and to send your Bitcoin. Um, and this type of protection is uh, is also paramount. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm about to send a transaction to you, to send Bitcoin to you. So that means that I'm about to sign a transaction with my private key, remember? So the question is, how can I be sure that I actually sign the transaction that I intend to? Um, so this is something important. And to, to ensure that, you need some trusted display. The trusted display is in the equation. Because otherwise, if you consent to sign transaction and the actual transaction which is signed is not the one you, you wanted, you have an issue. So how do I uh, uh, have a dedicated screen, especially for this, to verify what you sign? So when with a hardware wallet, when you want to uh, sign a transaction, uh, the transaction is prepared on your uh, favorite um, uh, software companion wallet, let's say. It, pre it prepares the transaction, sends it to your hardware wallet, and then you are about, okay, I'm, I'm about to, to send 0.1 Bitcoin to uh, your address. I can verify everything. I consent, and then the hardware wallet will sign the transaction. This is what, what we call the uh, whiz, whiz, whizzy whiz. <laughs> uh, what, what you see is what you sign. So this is something very important. And this is something you cannot achieve uh, with a mobile phone uh, nor a, a desktop computer uh, because you have many different um, um, uh, programs which run at the same time and which could intercept what you are doing and change the display. You you cannot uh, you cannot um, uh, be sure on uh, anything about uh, about this uh, the software wallet. Then we have uh, supply chain attack. Uh, this is also something important. Um, as a user, you receive your device. How can you be sure it's a genuine one? Um, in our case, what we did is to implement an attestation mechanism uh, within the device. So it's uh, what we call a certificate, maybe uh, exactly on on a, like on HTTPS when you have the lock on on your browser. That means that there is a certificate which has been signed. Uh, so this is what we put inside uh, each single uh, hardware wallet that we ship. And this certificate can be used to prove that the device is genuine. So it's a cryptographically proof, a cryptographic proof. Uh, it cannot be faked. But uh, in practice, unfortunately, it's not sufficient. Uh, the main issue we have today with uh, our new customers is that they don't know what to expect when they receive uh, the package. And it's a big issue because, uh, for instance, we saw this a couple of times uh, in in the past. Uh, some attackers uh, resell uh, some uh, hardware wallet, and um, instead of uh, resell it like a new device, what they did, what they did is initialize it with a seed, and um, and they even uh, bought some uh, scratching recovery sheet. And when the user receives uh, the device, as he doesn't know what to expect. He has a device already initialized. He has the scratching sheet. 
he scratch the the sheet and and which reveals um, his uh, 24 words. And if he thinks this is the normal way to uh, operate a hardware wallet, and this is the, this is a very big um, issue, and this is not easy to tackle because um, there is nothing technical which will solve this issue. Uh, this is not the technical. So this is about education, uh, explaining how the things work, and also explaining these things before the users uh, start its journey uh, in uh, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So. This is this is not something easy, and uh, and we have seen a couple of uh, those attacks uh, in in the past. And the last one is uh, evil made attack. So this is a very famous kind of attack where an attacker gets uh, physical access to your device, like your med, uh, uh, and uh, he gets uh, your device, and he can modify it, and then he, he can replace it, and at the end he can put it back where uh, it was uh, without the victim uh, not uh, noticing uh, the, the the difference and in practice it's quite difficult to be uh, bulletproof against this kind of scenario because you can always imagine a scenario where um, for instance a fake device which is very similar to yours uh, which we, it, it will only wait for you to input your pin and transmit your pin to the attacker and the attacker has your device and then he has your pin and it's finished. So against this kind of attack, it's very, very difficult to be uh, to be bulletproof. Um, there are a few things that we can do, but at the end, um, this is the, this is the very difficult to uh, to tackle this kind of, um, of scenario. And uh, generally speaking, fortunately, uh, these uh, scenarios are uh, very unlikely and, um, and uh, yeah. This yeah. is a, th th those are the, f the five different um, uh, requirements to be secure, and uh, security is not easy, as you can see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the stuff is very scary as well in terms of being able to take the secret while in use, right? So, as I mean, I guess going back to, I guess, those two points that you were mentioning, one is protection at rest. So, mm -hmm. just hodling, you just have the keys. How easy is it for somebody to take that secret? And in the case of software wallets, it might be that somebody's trying to brute force to access your coins. And so then at that point, it's about how long and how secure is your password. And most people aren't able to remember very long passwords. And that's why we talk about using password managers, do not reuse your passwords across different services, things like that. But then the more scary one is protection during use. So in the post, you actually show some video examples, very short examples where basically you were able to demonstrate picking out that secret while it was in memory and in use. So I guess then is it true to say that you know protection while in use is actually more difficult than protection at rest? Yeah, uh, because uh, protection at rest, uh, so let's say in the, in the software wallet on your smartphone, Let's say you have a strong protection uh, for your seed at rest, like either a crazy long uh, password or you are using Strongbox on Android or something. At rest, we can say it's secure. But as soon as you want to uh, make a transaction or to uh, generate a receiving address, the software will need uh, to decrypt uh, your seed. And that means that at some point, your seed will be in plain in your memory and uh, if you are in a situation where there is a malware on your mobile phone like a regular situation the malware can can have a look to what's going on in the memory 
and then can access to the seed when it's in plane. And as soon as it has the, the seed, you can just send it on over the internet. And th those are the videos we demonstrated in the post. Yeah, and so in that post, for listeners who haven't seen it, there is a, there are some examples both on smartphone wallets and on desktop wallets. So I think the desktop example was Electrum, which is a, obviously a very well-known uh, wallet. And then some of the smartphone ones, I think it was a Coinbase wallet and also maybe blockchain. I think maybe blockchain.info or blockchain.com, blockchain, that yes. wallet. And, and also Metamask, I guess. The, the thing is, I, I don't want to... This is not a question of there's wallets which would be insecure. This is the, the fact that Software wallets running on desktop yeah. or mobile phone are insecure. This is not about uh, MetaMask or Coinbase or, yeah. or or this one. This is just about the model. The model is not secure, and uh, and you you have to 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 keep this in mind. Yeah, very very scary stuff, and I think it's challenging because many people in the space who are new they won't necessarily be committed to go and buy a hardware wallet at the start. And so often the typical recommendation for people is to start on a phone wallet or maybe a software wallet on the desktop. But I guess the mitigating factor would be don't put too much on that and just use it while you're learning. And then once it's ready, that's when you, you need to start upgrading to using hardware devices. And maybe for larger amounts, you should be thinking about multi-signature as well. But yeah, certainly very scary. And so I guess, yes, yeah, just this idea that whenever you open your wallet and it needs to sign a message or boom all of a sudden yeah it can just be taken from you in your in the memory of your phone and because it's there in plain text now i guess the other factor that people might bring up is the example of having a trusted execution environment or some kind of secure element in the phone so how much does that help or does that not help at all yeah smartphones are a little better than desktop for security i, I have to be um uh, to be honest in that uh, this is the case um, they offer a couple of interesting security mechanisms like apps isolation, like key store or keychain, uh, according to the, to your, uh, your, your platform, and also uh, as a, a, the trust zone. Trust zone is an interesting mechanism. Uh, nevertheless, there are many issues uh, with those. Uh, first of all, most of the software wallet on smart smartphone we studied don't use the security feature. So they exist on your mobile, but the, the software wallet don't use them. I will tell you why. The thing is that if you have a Samsung 21, a Galaxy 21, or if you have a very old uh, phone, the blockchain wallet, um, blockchain.com wallet uh, must run on, on your phone and must be compatible with your phone. And with, uh, with a, a old low entry level, uh, phone, there is no trust zone. There is no strong box. There is so on, only for this reason, it's not possible to be compatible with any kind of phone and leverage the security mechanism. So this is the first thing. Uh, the second thing is even if you say, okay, I'm use, my my software wallet is only compatible with the last version of um, of iPhone and the last version of the Samsung Galaxy 21. The thing is that this mechanism, as of today, don't implement the Bitcoin cryptography natively. So that 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 means that you cannot use them out of the box. You cannot say, okay, uh, I I will implement all the security part with cryptography inside uh, the security enclave. And uh, I'm fine. The problem is, as it does not implement um, this, uh, this cryptography, your software wallet will need 
to to do something. Okay, I need to sign a Bitcoin transaction. I will ask to uh, Strongbox, let's say, or Keychain, to release the key, and then you have the key uh, in plain, and then you sign the transaction. So you lose the uh, security at use, uh, what, what, uh, what we mentioned before. And also, even if your your keys were safe uh, in the Keychain or the key store, the smartphone don't offer the secure display mechanism. So when you consent a transaction, what you consent is to unlock your keychain or your um, your key store, but you do not you you do not consent securely to um, to sign the transaction of 0.1 Bitcoin to this address. So the consent is quite different. And as you don't have the secure display, okay, on on your mobile you can see okay I'm sending 0.1 Bitcoin to you. But in fact, I'm sending my whole wallet to uh, the attacker, and when I when I consent, this is what what it is about. So this is a this is also an issue. Uh, you don't have the secure display, so uh, you um, you you cannot uh, you cannot uh, have this property. And finally, uh, the thing is that most of these mechanisms, not all, uh, they are often broken. Uh, because security is uh, is something which uh, which evolve and uh, you need to be up to date all the time and so on. So this is uh, quite often that these uh, mechanisms are broken. Uh, the thing is, it's difficult to stay up to date on every single platform, every single uh, security mechanism uh, across uh, across the uh, the board. So, so th- this is the, the the difficult part. I think from a technology perspective. Uh, it might be possible to design a such device dedicated to that with um, uh, with an Android or something uh, with some trusted display and and secure execution for uh, for your Bitcoin uh, uh, Bitcoin cryptography, but doing it out of the box on any kind of um, um, uh, mobile phone it's just simply impossible today. Yeah, interesting. So essentially, it would be possible to design a phone that might be more secure. But by that point, it's almost like maybe you're just better off getting a hardware wallet because now you're doing that, doing it that way. But maybe in the future, there would be more work done to make it accessible for people who are just getting started and to have it as a smartphone wallet, like a small amount of coins or something like that. And as you were saying... The problem is to, is to be um, a very open platform like Android is and iOS is where there are... Uh, millions of applications and when you can do anything you want on the internet and so on, it's great. But when it comes to security, you you want to have something uh, small that you master everything. And yeah, I think this is the the, the big difficulty uh, we have today uh, for for this kind of wallet. Yeah, I see. So in your view, then it's unlikely that there's much progress in that direction of people trying to make smartphones more secure, or maybe to make smartphones have a trusted element or trusted, you know, secure environment that can handle Bitcoin's cryptography. You would say that's probably a bit less likely than a more of a specialized pathway. Let's say the world goes down this pathway of, okay, we're just going to have to do hardware wallet security better and better and better. As I said b- before, the smartphones are getting more secure when the, the time goes. But the thing is, attackers get better as well. Like, and, and there is, for now, there is no time where uh, the security was, uh, was greater than the attackers. So the, it, it didn't happen. Um, mm. so today it's, when, when you see the, the last version of the, exp- uh, of exploiting iOS and something, 
it's quite complex. They they implement very complex thing to do uh, to 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 change different vulnerabilities and to go out of the uh, to do sandbox escape, then privilege escalation, then and so on. So it's it's quite complex, but uh, all the time they they succeed. So. I think it will, uh, it will, uh, the security will incre increase, but as the stakes are getting higher, um, it's, uh, it's difficult to stay secure. And as I mentioned just before, if you want to have something secure, um, you have to keep it simple and stupid. Uh, this is the, some, uh, some, uh, uh Unix uh, motto. Kiss, keep it simple yeah. and, and stupid. And it's okay. It's, uh, it's very correct for, for security as well. Yeah. And so, then bringing it back to hardware wallets and how they compare, let's say, how hard is it or difficult is it to have malware on a hardware wallet? Or maybe that's not the right model. Maybe it's more about, maybe it's just introducing another, a different type of risk, right? It's like supply chain risk. Or as an example with software, there's this idea that you can verify signatures or you can have reproducible builds. And that's one technique that people can use in software to make sure they're running the right software. But I guess that kind of technique is harder it's not possible with hardware, right? You can't run a PGB ver or GPG verify on a hardware device. So I guess it's we're we're choosing our poison a little bit in terms of which one, which risk are we having to accept, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the hardware wallets are more secure than any other solution, mostly because they are very simple and they do only one thing: just hardware wallet. They they implement cryptography for uh, for Bitcoin. They implement Bitcoin application. And that's it. You cannot load your uh, favorite uh, Bitcoin ticker. You cannot uh, load uh, Angry Birds or I don't know. There is only one thing. You can do only this. There is um, a very simple way to input things, uh, a very simple way to output things. And that's it. So this is the, the main reason why uh, a hardware wallet are, are more secure. So... Also, there are there are plenty of different hardware wallet projects, and uh, I think it's uh, it's very good uh, for 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 many reasons. Uh, first of all, having several choices is good for Bitcoin. It's good for the ecosystem in general. It's good for decentralization, and uh, also uh, hardware wallet remains the best options when it comes to security. So having best, uh, several choices uh, is 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 good. Um, there are there are different legitimate options, and um, in in the in the past, I we had a look to a couple of them. So I I can uh, give you some uh, insight on uh, what what we had a look. And again, for the large majority of uh, hardware, there was no no real uh, software threat because there was more. It's not possible to run malware or, or something. Very uh, there are some enclaves and uh, and they are separated to, uh, to to from your 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 phone or, or your desktop. We had a look to uh, Shift Crypto, for instance, and I liked a lot this uh, this project. Uh, they they worked hard on innovation and uh, and so on. So this is a this is a project I, I like. Uh, I'm not sure if um, if they are continuing to uh, to contribute and so on. It's a long time I I didn't uh, hear about uh, about them, but but this is a project that uh, I liked at this time when when I had a look to that. Also, I'd, I'd like to mention uh, my friend Rodolfo from uh, from Colcard. Uh, I like the no compromise with anything. Uh, this is something I like with him. Um, and uh, the good part for for with this kind of uh, hardware wallets is that. At the end, when you use your cold card, you understand Bitcoin. This is not something for newbie. This is not newbie friendly at all. 
But I think it's a, it's an interesting option because it forces you to understand. Uh, you have to do your own research. You have to understand how it works. Otherwise, you cannot use uh, this kind of um, of hardware hardware wallet. So that's why I uh, I, I like this uh, this project. It won't ever be a large scale project because of this. Uh, for mass adoption, you you need to do some trade off uh, and UX having a, a very smooth and uh, simple UX. Is, is something important that you don't have on, on Cold Guard. I often discuss with uh, Rodolfo and uh, all the time I request him to support Ethereum, but he's not motivated. <laughs> Maybe uh, next That's time <laughs> next time you discuss with him, uh, you should suggest uh, this to him. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I, I, CoinCard is a sponsor of my show, so I'm, I'm always uh, talking about Cold Card. It's my favorite of the hardware wallets. But, uh, yeah, I think it, it is. There's a lot to think about. And I think at the end of the day, the take-home message is that software wallets, there's a lot of things to be left desiring about their security. And I think uh, just because we were mentioning it earlier, just so the listeners are aware, the examples with the exploits that you ran through in that in this post, which obviously I'll include in the show notes, there it was an example where the user was downloading a Bitcoin ticker widget application and this ticker widget application was the one that then did all like was able to basically sniff the key out in memory and then display on the screen here is the 12 word seed seed words or here is the seed words in the pin for this wallet on the phone and so it's very scary for people out there who are thinking about their security and if, especially if you are securing large amounts of coin on your phone you've got to really be careful about that and i think that's where you want to think carefully and maybe only keep a small amount on your phone just for if you're using say a small amount for a lightning day-to-day use little amounts a couple hundred bucks basically an amount of money that you won't cry about if you lose it and then for for the real stuff that's where hardware wallets and multi-signature and all those more advanced techniques are becoming more and more necessary so i guess charles do you have any um final thoughts for the listeners anything for them to keep in mind as they're learning about Bitcoin or security? Uh, and of course, where can people find you online and Ledger online? Yes, maybe a, a couple of uh, recommendations uh, about security. So the first of all, the first one is something I repeat all the time, but I need to repeat it again. Never ever share your 24 words. I say it again and again because uh, we hear very often uh, customer or people in the ecosystem who get fished by people who do clever uh, phishing uh, attacks and they finish to uh, give their, their 24 words and when it's uh, gone, it's gone. Um, so th- this would be uh, this would be my uh, my main recommendation. Uh, the second one is to do your own research. I, I know this is something you say often in, in the show and I think it's important. Uh, Bitcoin technology, blockchain technology is something very new. In 10 years, let's say, it will be straightforward for anyone. But now it's not straightforward because this is not something we are used to, uh, to, 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 to have, uh, in, uh, in our day to day life, except uh, both of us, but regular people who newcomers who, um, who, who go in this ecosystem, they don't know what, what, what it's about. And it's a new paradigm. So you have to do your own research and, and understand uh, what's going on. Um, and uh, maybe the final one is um, is when you use your wallet, uh, always verify what you are doing on, on the device, uh, because otherwise, if if you just randomly sign, uh, you don't know what you do. Uh, so trusted display is something important, so you have to use it um, 
And to finish with, uh, I would say, let's continue to enjoy the Bullwen. Uh, this is uh, quite refreshing. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Charles. It was uh, very educational to talk with you today. Cool. Thank you, Stefan. So some strong words there from Charles, and I'm curious to see what listeners are thinking, whether they are now more concerned about using software wallets, especially after seeing the video demonstrations on the blog post or just from hearing Charles's explanations around that. And I guess it's also an interesting point to manage how much should be kept on a hot wallet in terms of Lightning or CoinJoin wallets, where obviously the keys need to remain hot. Anyway, get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 310 and make sure you share the show with your friends and family so they learn about Bitcoin too. Thanks, and I'll see you in the Citadels.